Welcome to the Hot Lava Podcast, Kevin AC. I am at Petco Park. My boss, Jay Posner. I guess I could see you right now. I guess if you waved, I see the Union Tribune building. Uh, Jay Posner, how are you? Padres and Mariners on a Tuesday. I always have to check myself when there's a Monday off day, but a two-game series starts against the Mariners tonight. What's on your mind? I don't think you could see me waving from this from the oh. tomb that I'm in here, but <laughs> soundproof studio providing all this quality uh, quality sound here. So anyway, we we talked that or put out there that we were going to talk about Andy Green yeah. today based on some Twitter stuff over the weekend. But we we should talk a little bit about the actual baseball that we'll be seeing the next couple of days. The Padres snapped their losing streak on Sunday. You took a day off. I don't know if that was a coincidence. Or or not? I was, I was out there. They built a four to one lead. They coughed up two runs of it, but Kirby Yates closed it out with another save. The Mariners come to town, sixteen and nine. They are uh, eleven and two on the road. That includes two games that were played in the middle of the night over in Japan. It wasn't the middle of the night there, of course. They started thirteen and two, and uh, and including a six game winning streak. Then they lost their next six. At which point, I'm sure Scott Service was uh, was under fire probably, but they, they came down to Anaheim over the weekend. They won three of four. One of those games, they were up 10-2. to two. They blew it. It was 10-10, and then they won it 11-10. They have been smashing the ball all over whatever yards they have been playing. 25 games, Kevin, 56 home runs, 160 wow. runs. You know, I, I'm, I'm no math major, but I think that's almost six and a half runs a game. So that's something uh, something to watch. Most of their lineup has an OPS over 800. Uh, Daniel Vogelbach, who I can admit I know almost nothing about, 472 on base, 836 slugging percentage, eight home runs. Jay Bruce has nine home runs. Mitch Hanniger has seven. Domingo Santana has 26 runs batted in. So the Padre pitchers need to watch out, obviously. Nick Margavichus tonight against Eric Swanson, who's an injury fill-in for Wade LeBlanc. And then tomorrow, Felix Paddock. Felix Paddock, that's a good one. Felix that's Her- a good one. That's good, right? Felix Hernandez, <laughs> who has been one of the great pitchers in baseball. Not as much anymore. ERA near five. Whip about one and a half. Going up against Chris Paddock, who the Padres and many fans uh, believe might become one of the great pitchers in baseball. And the other thing I wanted to mention, Kevin, the interesting about their bullpen they got rid of Edwin Diaz, and they've gone pretty much closer by committee, it looks like. Six guys already have saves. Twelve saves, six guys have split up the saves. So uh, all something to watch for, and uh, we will see how the Padres respond with a, with a wow. yet, another, yet another day off that they had and now have to play two whole games before they get yet another day off. Oh. <laughs> They'll have that day off in the nation's capital while I am on a plane. That's just the way it is. Jay, yeah, this team with all of its, its home runs, and, and I mean, I don't, I don't know how, and I don't want to start this off on a sarcastic note, but I will. I don't know how a team managed by Andy Green has a chance against the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> I'm sure that all those home runs were due to Scott's service and not due to the guys who were actually out there playing, but... We do want to talk about Andy Green. We do. I put out there on Twitter over the weekend. I was, I, I was just a little. I, I shouldn't be taken aback by anything that I that I see on Twitter or, or really anywhere. But um, I was a little taken aback by the idea that Andy Green was suddenly under such fire when his team stopped hitting, uh, and they went from eleven and five to eleven and eleven. And the eleven and five, there was never any talk about. Boy, Andy Green should be manager of the year. Look at this team. They're 11-5. and five. Two, Andy Green should be fired because they've lost six games in a row. 
So obviously the truth is sort of somewhere in the middle there, but I just put out there, hey, we're going to talk about this on the podcast. One reason we have it, we want to know what fans think. We want to be able to talk about what fans think and maybe be able to explain some things that, that we don't know or they don't know. Uh, and so I asked for complaints about Andy Green, and I, I, I think the one the, what sums it up the best, and I was going through this this morning, going back through the responses, and I did read them all, and I, and I said that we were going to talk about it, and I, I thank people for responding, and I read them all except for, of course, the people who I've muted. I guess I never saw theirs. Uh, I, I don't even know what that counts up to now. It's not very high. I think I'm pretty judicious, even though I can't say that word when it comes to uh, – blocking and muting but sometimes i feel like there's just no choice but anyway the thing that summed it up the best i wrote these down in order of of how people were responding number three sticks with pitchers too long number four pulls pitchers too early (laughs) well jay i i I think that one thing that you had uh, told me was that you appreciated the the cordial nature of these and that it was a discourse and it wasn't like how it sometimes devolves on, on, on these conversations on, on, on Twitter. And, and I'm like really happy for that because I'm really happy that we get to talk about this. It, it gives me a chance to kind of refresh and to think about things. And I, I wish Twitter was like that more often. So I was very happy to hear that. But you are correct that that right there, uh, two divergent opinions. And, and I would imagine that both people think they are 100% right and that no one could think anything otherwise. Yet right there is proof uh, back to back in your, in your replies that people do think otherwise. And, and I guess we could start there, right, with the, with the handling of the starting pitching. And I would say that I, I can't think of a time, and there were times last year, and I wrote about it, and you and I talked about it, uh, so it's not like it never happened, but I can't think of a time where I was like, what's he doing right here? At least that I didn't have an explanation for it. A, lot, um, a few times, that explanation has been, you know, Matt Strom is on a pitch count. Chris Paddock, for sure, a couple times, you're like, he's coming out here, and Andy talked about it after the, those games, coming out here because he's on a workload limit. Um you you know what the bullpen you, you know what the bullpen situation is the guys have been overworked you know that these uh, starters are, are unproven you know that you know sometimes when Nick Margavichis is in there that you know hey they're they're wondering what's the next time that a guy's not going to be caught off balance and, and hit the ball 500 feet <laughs> um, and there have been a heck of a lot of close games where Andy has had basically no choice but to pull a starting pitcher for a pinch hitter. Right. And uh, in fact, that was one of the replies I got was he should have let, you know, Strom only pitched eight innings the other night. He should have let him pitch nine. <laughs> and I, I had to respond that he was he was pulled for a pinch hitter in a tie game. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure there was much choice there. I, I think one of the things about this um, whole situation, Kevin, is there's so much that that you and I and the people watching the games and maybe even some of the other people on the field when you think about it. I mean, does, sure. does, I mean, Manny Machado and, and, you know, Manny Margot and Hunter Renfro, I doubt they know everything that goes into to the pitching <laughs> yeah. here and what, and what is talked about between Andy Green and Darren Balsley and Doug Bockler um, and whoever else is, is in on this. But there are, there are days when pitchers can't pitch. There are days when pitchers are available for more than an inning, and they need to be because other guys can't go. There are pitch limits. There are innings limits. Um, how do you think most of this is determined? Is this is this all Andy Green? Is it all Darren Balsley? Is it is it a discussion every day? 
going into a game and then constant discussions in the dugout. What do you think is the, the best way to, to sum up how the decisions are made when it comes to pitching? Well, I want to make sure that we say that, you know, the buck stops with Andy Green. He's the guy who has to make decisions. But in terms of pitchers, he relies so heavily on what Doug Bockler, the bullpen coach, is telling him, on what uh, Darren Balsley, one of the best in the business, I think that's roundly believed, what, what, what Darren Balsley is telling him. He, he, he's relying on that. There's a lot of discussion before and during the game with Rod Barajas. Uh, who you know is, is the bench coach, and, and he is you know he likes to have that as as a, as a sounding board. And there's conversations before and after every game. Sometimes extremely long conversations, extensive conversations with AJ Preller, Josh Stein, the assistant general manager, uh, other people in the personnel department. Uh, they talk about everything. So in the game, Andy is the guy with all the information who then has to. Uh, you know, make the decision. And it's everything you said, Jay. And then there's other things. Like, I've had times where I thought, you know, gosh, that was really dumb because I've got ideas about this guy's splits or this or that. It's history against a certain guy or whatever. And Andy has some information that I had no idea about. And I'm sure that, as you said, <laughs> there were like four people that had that information and the care to know about it. Because Manny Machado doesn't need to know that, uh, you know, Craig Stammen's, uh, you know, not working this pitch particularly well today or that certain pitcher throws to a certain spot that while the splits might uh, indicate otherwise, the pitcher crushes pitches to that spot, fastballs, changeups, whatever. The information, my point on that whole thing is just how ridiculous the amount of information that Andy Green has that with me, who follows the team and, like, you know, is probably a little too invested in, like, information <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, for, for, for my own health, I don't know. So I'm telling you that no matter how rabid a fan is, that's not putting me above or below anyone. That's just saying none of us have have all of the information Andy Green does. Now, that doesn't mean we have to agree still with everything he does, but there's always a reason. And, and a lot of times you end up, you do, if you look at it, you know, rationally, if you look at it without bias, you go, oh, okay. I get it. And then I, I did want to point out, man, I, I felt like, because I was excited, because what did we really know about how Andy Green managed a team that had three Rule 5 guys on it? Or, you know, right. even last year's team, right? What did we really know? But this year, I felt like, so far, Andy Green, we have seen moves where Andy Green's trying to win games. And that is, that's great. Now we can make our, our, our decisions on that. If you think after 23 games, 12 and 11, 11 and 12, whatever, that Andy Green needs to go, that's because you came in with a preconceived notion about it. And uh, that's fine. But I, Andy Green has actually, uh, for a 12 and 11 team, pulled some pretty good levers with pinch hitters and uh, in the bullpen. That's, I, I don't think that there's really, and you can chime in, Jay, I don't think there's any real way to dispute that. No, I, I would agree. And I, I think sometimes what gets overlooked is the idea that Andy Green could make a bad decision and a hitter could make him look or a pitcher could make him look could make him look good or what often happens especially in a game with as much failure as there is in baseball he could make a good decision and everybody could go oh man that was a good decision and then the pitcher goes out there like you know for instance a guy like Robert Stock earlier in the season I'm not talking about when he you know when he was wild but Robert Stock could go out there and and give up a couple home runs. I mean, I I thought the other day, like leaving Brad Wick in to start the seventh inning was a was a good move. I I think he knew he had stamina for more than an inning, but he was uh-huh. trying to. And and this is all just speculation on my part because I haven't talked to anybody about it, asked anybody. My guess was he knew he had stamina for more than an inning, but the ideal situation was to not go two full innings. So he was going to let Wick pitch, 
at the start of that, who would come in at the, to end the previous inning, let him pitch and see what happened. The second batter of the inning, he got an out. The second batter in the inning hit a home run. So he's like, okay, I, I gotta go get I gotta go get him now. But I don't think that means it was a bad decision to leave Brad Wick in to pitch to that hitter who hit a home run. Uh, obviously, he didn't tell Brad Wick, hey, hit, go out there and give up a home run. I mean, I, I think everybody knows that that kind of stuff, you know, doesn't happen. Sometimes guys just make mistakes. Hitters, and like I said, the same thing could happen on the other side. Sends up a pinch hitter. You go, man, I don't understand that move at all. And the pinch hitter gets a hit or the pinch hitter doesn't. So I, I think sometimes players, the, the idea that players make mistakes or players do good things gets overlooked in all this. And I still think the bottom line is this is a game that's decided on the field. And most games, I, I really think this, and this isn't to discount anything that a manager does or anything like that. I don't know how many games a year a manager really decides and I think there's been, you know, speculation about this. And I don't know that I've seen that it makes a difference in more than, I don't know, what, eight or ten, you know, wins or losses. Now, eight or ten wins or losses could decide whether you have a really good year or you know, a mediocre year or something like that. But I just don't think that, like, every night you can say, oh, man, the manager lost that game for us any more than you can say the manager won that game for us. I mean, the, you know. He has a roster and that he can work with, and a lot of it is 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 what's the roster makeup, and the biggest thing of all is how do these guys how do these guys perform? There are games where you say, "Wow, Manny Machado's up; he's the tying run, you know, potential tying run." Who else would you rather have in this situation? And Machado strikes out. I mean, that that's just something that <laughs> that happens in baseball, and I I think managers get probably not much credit at all and but whatever credit they do get they probably get more credit than they deserve and they and they certainly get more blame than they deserve and that's not, not just Andy Green I think that goes that goes everywhere I mean I always bring up the example of Bruce Bochy Bruce Bochy had a losing record as the Padre manager you know to quote our friend Nick Canepa he didn't forget how to manage in the years when he lost he just didn't have players most of the time and when he had players, he won. We haven't seen Andy Green manage a team with a good roster, and that's why I think that that's one reason why this this season is so interesting is to watch yeah. what he does when, as you said, he's trying to win every game, pretty much every game now that they play, as opposed to before where it was like, well, you know what, we lose this game, it's not the end of the world. I want to see how Joey Lucchese pitches in the sixth inning you know, of a game against a tough lineup. I, I don't think we're going to see as much of that this year. Absolutely. Now, I want to make sure I clarify, because a lot of times I'll hear Andy's voice in my head. Uh, if, I, I, if I said uh, trying to win, which I probably did, it's important to me to say that Andy Green wanted to win every single night. There were times where he knew he wasn't going to, and he had health considerations or future considerations. To, and this year, there's far less of that, of course, except in the case of you know, Chris Paddock uh, with the uh, workload limit and Matt Strong with the workload limit. Um, I mean, Matt Strong the other night goes eight innings because uh, that's about as good as it. he has the pitch to go eight innings. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he had a couple. Of, uh, I, I never thought he'd get through. I mean, yeah. there was one late inning he got through in like five pitches. I mean, that. Uh, I don't know what those guys were doing. Yeah, They're like, I, this guy I, I don't either. But um, so, I, I do want to. And there were a couple other things that were pointed out, and I'll save one for the end. Uh, the bigger one for the end, but um, there were a couple things that were pointed out among criticisms that I just think are just somewhat ir- things that are never going to happen. You know, playing uh, Will Myers at first base against left-handed pitchers. Um, they're paying Erica Hos- Hosmer $144 million. And whatever you think of the signing of Eric Hosmer, and, I, and you know, we've talked about yeah. that many times, he's going to play first base. 
in 150 games or whatever it is during the season. And they're certainly not going to reach a point. And if they do reach that point, it's it's more likely to be, you know, in August or something. And I don't even think it would happen then. It's certainly not going to happen in April that they're going to say, oh, Hosmer's terrible against left-handed pitchers. We need to take him out. You're, you're never, you know, you're just not going to see something like that. I had some people question the the use of Hedges and Mejia. I, I, I'm not sure what what else can be done there. I mean, Hedges is the starter. He's going to play most of the time. They've made a decision, you know, for now that they want to have Mejia on the roster, even if it means he's only going to play maybe twice a week. That's just going to be what happens. And and I don't think that's anything that's been decided. I, I don't think they're just suddenly going to say, well, Mejia should play four times a week. Uh, I, I just can't see that kind of stuff, uh, that kind of stuff. Well, now happen. we're getting into, we're opening the door to another discussion, and I'm going to save the part about, you know, how much, uh, you know, if, if if what you're talking about is people were complaining that that was Andy's fault. Let's save that for the big topic that we're going to have at the end, right? Because that Andy doesn't control all decisions and doesn't make them right. unilaterally, right. which I think because he's the front man, people think he does. But I, just real quick on the Mejia Hedges uh, thing. Um, Austin Hedges, uh, again, speaking of things that we don't know, and certainly people that maybe tune in, you know, every other day or, or whatever, uh, he's exponentially better than uh, Francisco Mejia behind the plate. Francisco Mejia has caught only Nick Margavitis and Eric Lauer, two of the most unflappable guys, two mm-hmm. guys who need the least direction. Okay, mm-hmm. now Chris Paddock could probably pitch with Francisco Mejia. Actually, any of them could pitch. Right. But, you know, Chris Paddock could do well with Francisco Mejia behind there. But they want to maximize what this rookie can do, and that is with Austin Hedges. So that's something to consider. And, and, and that's a, we could do a whole show on why are both of these guys on the roster. I don't want to get too far into the weeds here. Uh-huh. But, but there's a, you know, Francisco Mejia is not Austin Hedges. And by the way, like, you know, in spring training, you know, Chris Paddock pitched against a bunch of minor leaguers who had the best day of anyone against him because they were jumping on pitches. Uh, you know, he didn't know what to throw them. They weren't major league hitters. Major league pitchers are working on their fastball in spring training. Major league pitchers are working to find the strike zone in spring training. I'm not saying that Francisco Mejia won't be a great hitter. He's not a great hitter right now. Do not be fooled by what Francisco Mejia did in spring training and think that that's who he could be if he played every day up here. Right, right. And and I think he's got a fifty percent chase rate almost right now. Right, and the, you know, and there's <laughs> right, and there's and there's the idea. I mean, obviously Hedges hasn't had a great start at the plate. He's shown he's shown yeah. flashes, but Hedges is not expected to be a guy that's going to you know hit two eighty with a three thirty on base percentage or anything like that. It would be it would be great for the Padres if Hedges <laughs> could hit two thirty. You know, with even a 300 on base percentage, I'm sure they would take something like that. And and maybe there's a day. You know, there were times, certainly the second half of last year, where he did that. And I think the the hope is that he could, you know, do that this year. But I think the one thing, the biggest complaint that I received was over the second base situation and and mismanagement at second base with Ian Kinsler and um, Luis Arias, who came up, you know, after just a few games and. Neither guy has done has done much so far. I mean, let's be honest that that's been a it's been a hole a hole in the lineup. Uh, you've written about it a couple of times, and I, I think it goes to show you. I think this this is a, a a display, an example rather, of how every decision is not made by Andy Green on when it comes to the lineup card. This is not the 1980s where Dick Williams sat in his office and wrote out the lineup card by himself. Uh, or maybe with one other coach, you know, or something like that. I mean, the game is is played differently now. It's managed differently now, 
and it's it's organizationally different now. And and I think you're better to speak to this whole situation than than I am on that. But but give us an idea of the, the kind of the mindset behind the Kinsler Urias situation at second base and how it's basically an organizational decision. Absolutely. I mean, the thirty thousand foot not you know speaking about that situation and others is that you know there's plenty of times that Andy's not exactly who is up or who is down or who is on his roster. That's just, And not just Andy Green, but probably 30 uh, managers in the majors several days of the season are not pleased with all mm-hmm. the players that they have available to them. Okay, uh, and, and so you know, decisions are made where, gosh, there's some decisions uh, about personnel that Andy might not have very little say in. Now there's some that he'll have even more say. I want to make sure that I point out that Andy, Darren Bosley, Doug Bockler, uh, Rob Barajas, uh, Skip Schumacher, uh, these guys watch like the video almost every single day of minor leaguers. They watch other players in the, in the league that their pro scouts are talking about. They're very familiar with I me. Mean, in ten minutes, because you know it's not like the rest of us who have to zoom through commercials or something. And in ten minutes, they can watch every pitch that Mackenzie Gore threw in his last start at Single A. They do that constantly. They're very involved, uh, probably more than ever. But A.J. Preller, Josh Stein, Logan White, uh, these guys are uh, big time in the decisions as well, sometimes for hours after a game, before and after every game they're talking. Um, now, decision on Kinsler and Urias. Remember that uh, Kinsler was brought in because there was no chance this team was going to uh, have Fernando Tatis Jr. start the season. Now, then they do, and they're universally praised. Well, then they also back themselves into a hole because there are no corner because now they have Kinsler and Urias and like, uh Oh, all right, fine. Beginning of the season, we're going to send Urias down as long as Kinsler's doing well. Because, you know, Urias didn't have a really great uh, spring training. Let him get the bat together. It certainly looked like he did. So after 10 games of the major league season, he's called up because Kinsler, I don't know, batting 150 at that point. Um, and it was going to be whoever earns this job. Well, unfortunately it became more of like a competition of who could be worse between the two guys. <laughs> right, right. And that's where I wonder like, you know, to take a little sidebar here, is it ever the player's fault? Like like Luis Orias, let me tell you something. If he uh, didn't look like an eight-year-old who was up there who didn't really want to be playing and, uh, and, and was looking for ball four. And I say it with all due respect to Luis Urias because none of us could do what he has done. And he, I, I'm not saying he won't be a fantastic player. It's, he didn't forget how to play baseball. He's, he's raked at every level. There's something going on right now. He can't catch up to the fastball. But if he was, he looks terrible. And if he didn't, he'd have this job. And Ian Kinsler would be having to transition for the first time in his career into being a backup. But Luis Orias looked terrible. I'm not sure if that's A.J. Preller's fault or Andy Green's fault or Rod Barraza's fault, um, but, but I guess it's not Luis Orias's fault. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, you know, the player needs to perform. I, I did hear the suggestion that he would have been better, you know, if they had just put him out there and played him every day. But they did play him. For, I, I don't remember the – I don't have the breakdown in front of me. He played between shortstops, third base, second base. He played three days in a row one time and, like, Five out of seven in another. Right, and he's never going to play. They're going to be careful with his ham, the hamstring, so he's not going to be a guy that you know is out there every single day. But you know, would he have improved if he had been out there, you know, every single day? Yeah, he might have, but he might have continued. To, he might have continued to look lost. Because there's a difference. He wasn't when he was playing Jay. It wasn't like man, he was a little bit off. Exactly. Right? Exactly. He I was agree. A lot off. Yeah, and and you know, Kinsler's a lot off too. But I think. <laughs> the idea of getting of getting Urias out of there and maybe getting him back to AAA and sort of finding himself. I mean, he he went down there. I think he only had maybe fifteen at bats or something before he was back 
um, before he was back up here. So maybe have him down there for a little while. Maybe this was one thing that was mentioned where maybe give, is there a chance we see Greg Garcia a little bit? Uh, yeah, at second base as sort of not necessarily in a platoon, but at least an idea of, of giving him a couple games out there to see what he can do. Some more regular at bats, because quite mm-hmm. honestly, almost, I mean, like a lot of Greg's at bats, I don't know what they are, they're not very many. Let's say it's 17. I'd say 13 of them have been like in the, you know, top 100 at bats of by a Padre this year. Like, really, the guy is does really quality at bats. Let's see what he can do. And but that was impossible to do with three guys on there, right? Right. You right. have three second basemen. So now, like you said, not a platoon, but Greg Garcia. Uh, I don't know. We'll say a couple starts here in the next week, mm-hmm. right? Now, right. you know, again, they had an off day yesterday. They got an off day on Thursday. Um, then I think they play quite a few in a row between uh, the the two road trips and the and the homestand. I'm not sure that there's it's a four, no. There's uh, not. It's four, there. it's fourteen in a row. Okay, so why bet you we see him? I, you know, again, lots of things can happen, right? But like right now, I bet you they'd be thinking, "Hey, let's play Greg three or four times in there, right?" And, right, and right. obviously, Greg Greg Garcia could earn more, right? Or Ian Kinsler, who has looked better than Luis Urias, um, at least putting the ball in play uh, and hitting some line drives. Ian Kinsler could say, "Nope, this is my job. I figured it out, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, I Absolutely. Was concerned that I was concerned based on the pop-ups. Hey, you want to talk about information that we don't know, right? And then we think that we're onto a track, right? So Ian Kinsler popping up a lot. And and uh, behind, uh, he'd jump on balls and he'd be pull them right. And so I'm thinking, oh man, I got to talk to scouts. I got it. So I talked to some people, right? And it's like, you know what? When Ian Kinsler is off throughout his career, that's what he has done. This is not a bat speed thing, according mm-hmm. to the people that I've talked to now. Mm-hmm. So like, you know what I mean? Like we all think, oh man, I thought, wow, there's a lot of evidence here. Ian Kinsler, 36 years old. Oh wow, he's really slowed down. And, and maybe that is the case, but. The Padres have not come to that conclusion, and outside people that I've talked to that have looked at Ian Kinsler are saying, no, it, it doesn't necessarily look like that. Now, I'm, they're, they're comparing it to the last couple of years and not to Ian Kinsler of 2012, um, but, but you know, maybe Ian Kinsler will be better, and so they're going to give him a chance to play. I, I'm glad that like people have brought this up. It gives me a chance to sort of check myself. It makes me think of questions to ask, but in terms of putting that on Andy, look, Andy Green did not make the decision unilaterally to bring Luis Urias up. It wasn't even Andy Green's idea right. to bring Luis Urias up. So, uh, and then when he has them, man, he's in a tough spot. Here he's got a veteran who's played all the time, uh, and, and Andy has shown, look, he got Hosmer. You know how many times Hosmer had batted fifth before this year? And a couple of them were last year. It was like four times in his career he mm-hmm. batted fifth. He's dropping the 144 million man down to fifth. Andy Green's not afraid to make moves. But I'm just saying, he's got Ian Kinsler, who was brought here and told, you're going to end up being a utility guy, but you're going to start at first. And here, 10 games into the season, they call up the hotshot kid, right? So Andy's put in a tough situation there. Then Luis Urias is on the roster, and it's like, well, you know, there is a certain thing of let's let him play. But wait a minute, I got Ian Kinsler too. Exactly. In, uh, in some ways, Andy Green sometimes is put into situations that then, because he's the front man, the guy who has to sit in that dugout or stand at spring training or talk to us on the field after spring training, I think it's like 500 times a year. Yeah. So <laughs> I can understand that people think that Andy Green is the guy making all the decisions. And I think that one last thing, because we've been doing this a while, but lineup changes is another complaint that people had, which always makes me laugh a little bit, because their lineup changes last year in, in many 
reason, there were many reasons for many of them, but three of the teams that had the most lineup changes in the league last in baseball last year were the Dodgers, the Cubs, and the Rays. They all won at least ninety games. I, I think that's just something that comes with the territory for the most part. You know, the idea of riding the same eight guys that down there every game is just not something that that can happen. And especially now, I mean, you look at the Padres with the sort of the rotating outfielders that they're going to have. I, I don't know that you want those the same three guys out there all the time. I, I think you want to see a bit of a um, rotation. And I know people don't want to see Jose Perella out there. And, and that was something that came up on, on Saturday night. I, I didn't have a problem with Perella playing in that particular game. They had lost five in a row. They hadn't scored more than two runs, I think, in any of those, certainly since they had come home. Perello was a guy who had been had been hitting at El Paso. He hit here a couple of years ago. I, I didn't see any harm in giving him a giving him a start Saturday night, you know, over a couple of guys who weren't doing much and see what he could do. I, you know, it didn't work out, but I, I, I don't think that means it was a bad decision. Uh, I don't expect Jose Perello to be out there four days a week, um, you know, starting in the uh, in the outfield or at second base or anywhere else. Um, so that's one of those things about lineup changes where I just think that's that's sort of the way that the game is played now. And you know, look, Hosmer shouldn't be hitting if Hosmer should move around the order a little bit because absolutely he should hit hitting him second against a right-handed pitcher is not a bad idea. Hitting him second against a left-handed pitcher is a horrible idea. So oh, absolutely, if, I was you know why I was bringing that up. Like Andy makes the calls. That's all. But oh my gosh, Hosmer should not be hitting second against left. Right. And one thing to look forward to is we talk about an offense that's been struggling. Even the other day, I mean, they scored, they got almost all their hits in one inning on uh, on Sunday. But when you go to Washington, I think the first two guys you're going to see, or the Padres are going to see, are Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg. So, <laughs> so from a from a standpoint of watching great pitchers, that's something to look forward to. From the standpoint <laughs> of the Padres having to hit against those guys, maybe they're not as excited. But uh, uh, it'll be it, it's always. Always fun to uh, always fun to watch. Be good to see them play against the the Nationals and the Braves, and then I think they come home and get the Dodgers and the Mets. So that's a good stretch uh, after Seattle. But we don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. I love that you brought up the 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 other teams and what they do with the lineups, and I've written about that before because last year there was a point where Andy, you know, we were in June, and I think he used you know just like this year, every game except the first two have had different lineups. Last year it went even longer where you only, you know, used one different lineup in like the first 60 games or something. But um, we get a little myopic and we look at our team and we don't see, you know, oh, well, this they're not the only ones. Look, I'm one of those who, I wonder, I don't know what the answer is about these lineup changes. I don't think players are on board with it as management would like them to be. Mm-hmm. I think players would love to hit in the same spot every day and play every day. Now, they put on the brave face, and and you know every once in a while they'll drop hints, but I, I don't know. I, so I don't. I'm not like I, I'm not disagreeing with some of these questions. These questions are good. I just right. hope that we've provided a little context for them. No, I think that's. I mean, that's what we've hoped to do here for anyone who's stuck around this long is is to provide that and provide explanations. And and look, we're, I'm not looking to make excuses for for anything. This is strictly explanations. And when you know when moves are made that are that are questionable, that's you know. That's why you're at the game is to ask those questions and to and to publish the answers and and you know we can talk about them on here and and I encourage people to you know to contact us with 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 questions and and uh, uh, about why things happen and and hopefully you know if if you don't know the answer right away it's something that you can find out. And 23 games in, Jay, I want to say this: if we're going to use the strict sense of the word, is Andy Green in danger? Is Andy Green on the hot seat? The answer is no. 
But but not only will we continue to question him and watch in this season that is a big evaluation for a lot of people, Andy Green up near the top of the list, um, that you know, management is going to be watching him. That means Preller, uh, Ron Fowler, uh, Peter Scheidler. So in no way, because we've tried to explain some things uh, from our perspective and with, you know, with me in particular as the guy out here, it's a lot of educated uh, guesses, I mm-hmm. guess, you know, and it's a lot, of, it's a lot of, you know, information that I try to gather so that I can speak knowledgeably on it. Uh, but just because we're, you know, providing these explanations that may sound like excuses doesn't mean that, you know, Andy Green is going to be here for the entire season or that uh, he can't mess this up. Uh, but 23 games in, uh, they're just he's just not on the hot seat. Right, right. Now, there's also other things that can happen, too. Remember, the, the chemistry of the clubhouse is always changing, and I mean, there's no magic number on how many games does Andy Green have to win. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that can happen by the end of the season uh, that we have to keep an eye on. Yeah, I mean, at I this could... point, I, could, I was going to say, I could see a scenario where, you know, the, the team wins. I mean, I'm just pulling numbers out here, but let's say the Padres win 78 games this year and the Padres say, you know what, we saw enough from Andy Green. He's coming back. Mm-hmm. They could win 83 games and they could say, you know what, that, I don't, we don't think Andy did a very good job. There was, there was a lot going on that could have been different and we're going to mm-hmm. bring somebody else in. I mean, I, I just, yep. it's, there's just nobody right now. And I think this includes the guys at the top of the organization on down. I don't think there's anybody that knows what the future holds for any of this. And that's, that's why you watch every day. I mean, that's why, that's why it's so great is because you don't know what's going to happen. It's not much, it's not, I'm never one for spoilers. I don't like to know ahead of time what's going to happen on my favorite TV shows. I want to watch, uh, I want to watch what, what happens as it, as it develops on, on my set. And it's the same thing on, uh, uh, on, on the baseball, on the baseball field. I want to see what's going to happen and, We'll start by seeing that tonight and tomorrow against Seattle, and then you and I will talk again on Friday when you're in Washington. That'll be awesome. No, I had not looked that far ahead. Sure, sure in Strasburg, yes. <laughs> this will be great. Maybe they'll rise up and, uh, you know, oh, oh, this is great. That's the other thing that's beautiful, right? When you thought they were going to lose three or four to the Reds in those pitchers. Nope, those pitchers pitched really well. The Reds' bullpen's very good. Uh, they could go in and beat Strasburg and Scherzer. So I think, uh, yeah. You, you are right. Gosh, Jimmy, you are so smart. Are we still All right. recording? I was going to say, that's, that's where we've reached the time where we need to stop. So, Kevin, have a great uh, have a great night and a safe, safe travels back to Washington. We'll talk to you on Friday. All right. Thanks, everybody.